Hey, it's Anna Maria Tremonti, and I'm excited to tell you about my new podcast. It's called More, and I'll be talking to people you may think you already know until you hear them here. We've got a little more time to explore and to probe and even to play a little. So get ready for the likes of David Suzuki, Catherine O'Hara, Margaret Atwood, and many others. You can find more with Anna Maria Tremonti wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to White Coat Black Art in the Summer. To mark Labor Day, we bring you a story from February about how some doctors are changing the way they work. When I went to med school, my teachers told me to expect long hours. That's the lifestyle for doctors like Simon Ochakovsky, an ICU physician at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. Now I'm a little bit tired because uh, yesterday was very busy. I had to stay in overnight. I've now been here for 30 hours, I'd say, right about now, and I'm going to be here again for the rest of the afternoon before I get to go home. He spoke about the work in a recent documentary by Al Jazeera called The People's Health. On a busy day, it can be very stressful. Um, You're often worried that you're going to make a mistake, you're going to forget something that has to be done. She's doing great. Being a doctor usually means working full-time. Being a half-time ER physician gives me the time to host this show. It's hard to imagine anyone entering med school expecting to work part-time. So it might surprise you that part-time is becoming more popular. The Canadian Medical Association says the average doctor work week is trending down. No one tracks the exact number, but an estimated 15% of MDs work part-time. Some because they want to, and some because they need to for their well-being. Still, some colleagues think they're lazy. Some patients fear they won't be there when they need them. Part-timers say it makes them better with patients, and a whole lot more. They say they're helping redefine what it means to be a dedicated physician. Let's meet two of them. Um, I'm Dr. Michelle Cohen. I'm a part-time family physician working out in Brighton in southeast Ontario. Michelle Cohen trained in family medicine just a decade ago. She did short stints as a full-time doctor in southern Ontario and the far north before moving with her family to Brighton. Currently, she's in her 30s and works part-time. My name is uh, Dr. Frank Warsh, and I am a investigating coroner. Uh, Frank Warsh is a former family doctor who had a thriving general practice that he quit in part because of a sports injury that left him with severe hip pain. And as you'll hear, the work was leaving him feeling empty. He wrote about that decision in his book, The Flame-Broiled Doctor, From Boyhood to Burnout in Medicine. Today, at age 45, he works part-time as a coroner in London, Ontario. Both doctors joined me in our Toronto studio. Frank, I'd like to begin with you. You quit working as a family doctor at a community health clinic at the end of 2015? Correct. What made you decide to do that? So at that time, uh, it was burnout. Um, I had reached a point in my career where I had just tried this and that and sort of struggled all the way through with finding my role, finding my niche. Um, And I was just fundamentally unhappy with the practice of clinical medicine. Uh, It wasn't the location I was working in. Uh, It wasn't the people I was working with. There comes a point where you sort of have to admit to yourself, I can keep plugging away at this 
and make myself miserable, make my family miserable and not really serve my patients uh, to the best of my abilities and conscientiously. You sort of hate going in and uh, hate coming out. And um, it was discussions with my spouse and I finally said, you know what, I, I can't do this. It's either leave or become an alcoholic or Seriously? why not. Yeah, when you when you get to the point where you really don't like what you're doing, um, you know, you're instead of going out for a run uh, to relieve stress, you're reaching for the bottle of scotch. And, and you did. Uh, and then in medicine, this is the, the culture that we have as well. You know, clearly if you're not happy, it's because you're not doing enough or you're not working enough. Michelle, uh, you were nodding as he was talking mm -hmm. about achievement. You can mm -hmm. relate to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think we're, we are all, we're ambitious people. We go into medicine because we want to achieve, not just because we're interested in the science or we're interested in, in the, the work itself or healthcare. And there's a sense of, if, you know, if you're not pushing yourself as much as you can, if you're not achieving all the things that you internally feel like you need to be achieving as an overachiever, then, then that's a failure. And I think we have a hard time accepting that. Have you ever felt that way? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, I sort of think of it as like part-timer guilt. So before there's part-timer guilt, there's the decision to go part-time. So mm -hmm. I want to bring you into that part of the mm -hmm. conversation. What was your reason for going part-time? I'd never really wanted to be, especially with a young family, to have that kind of 60-plus hour a week work. You know, I, I don't want to push myself to that extent and not be a part of my family life and not enjoy um, my life now that I'm finally out of school. Um, the work that I did up north was uh, while my husband was still on parental leave. So we always knew he was going to be returning to work. There was a plan for us to eventually leave Toronto, and we knew that we were going to end up finding our own kind of flexible fit to see, to, to try to juggle the demands of home and the demands of the work that we wanted to do. And how many hours a week are you working right now? Um, probably about 25, give or take. You heard Frank talk about burnout mm -hmm. and you are 10 years into your career as mm -hmm. a family doctor. Did you relate to anything that he was talking about when he was talking personally about being burned out? I think I'm on the edge sometimes. I, I listened to your, your uh, broadcast about uh, burnout um, and I can definitely relate to a lot of those ideas. The emotional toll and feeling kind of drained at the end of the day and having to, to sit in the car for a few minutes before you go back in the house. At drained the end by of the, what? There are points of periods throughout the day that are emotionally draining. We encounter this sort of vicarious trauma through our patients' traumas all the time, and it, and it builds up in that sense of often that we are so powerless to really affect big positive changes in people's lives. And then at the end of the day, there's that sense of, what do I have left? I'm going to, you know, I'm sitting in my car, I'm about to go into the house, and there's going to be three little people who run to me, and there's going to be all the things that I need to take care of and I need to do, and, and where's, where's that reserve coming from that I have to then, you know, that I owe to my family. And, and for you, Frank, I, I'm assuming that, and I know from your book, that you were moved by many of the of similar kinds of stories that Michelle was just talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, uh, you know, certainly when I was at the community health center working with a lot of disadvantaged uh, people, victims of trauma, um, you run up against the brick wall that medicine developed really as a response to acute things, you know, and, and still very much we're trained as though disease is something we can put a finger on and we can cut it out or we can use this pill and it will fix it within X number of days. But there are social diseases that invariably you're, you're also on their behalf, you're fighting uh, social battles. 
you know, you're you're doing everything you can, and and in some cases, you're really sort of giving your heart out to people that you your efforts just can't help. You can't fix everything that's wrong, um, and it leaves you sort of hollowed out. So, Michelle, you felt on the edge of it at times, but mm-hmm. you're not burned out. Mm-hmm. No, no, fortunately not. What about the experienced colleague whose practice you joined? The practice I'm sharing right now is with a semi-retired family physician. Um, so he did experience at, at, at some points kind of getting close to that edge of burnout, feeling really overwhelmed. And I think the being able to share practice with me has allowed him to lengthen his career a little bit too and enjoy those last few years that, that, that he's having right now rather than just be frustrated and unhappy and burnt out and finally just, you know, just quit because he can't take it anymore. Uh, so a few years before I arrived, in particular, our community, which is always underserviced anyway, was uh, more acutely underserviced and he took on this huge load of patients and he's always been there for the community. Um, and it was just, you know, to a point where it was excessive for him, particularly being able to share some of his time and some of that burden with me has been beneficial for both of us kind of at opposite ends of our career careers in different ways. So it's worked out quite nicely. How hard was it for you to make uh, the decision to go part-time? Not hard. No, not hard at all. I mean, just the, 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 that part-timer guilt, just that, that feeling that, you know, I took, up, I took up a med school spot. And I've definitely heard this before. This is not just coming directly from me internally. It's the sort of message that I've received. But yeah, you take up a spot and then you go and you have a baby. And then you spend time with your baby that you should be spending with your patients. You know, that's, that's a lot of the, the negative view, uh, particularly as women are entering medicine or as men are spending more time with their families and being more active in their kids' lives. There's that, you know, you wasted a spot that somebody who wanted, wanted it more and could have worked much harder than you should have had instead. It's like you're a slacker. Right. You're a slacker. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever been exactly. called a slacker? Not directly. No, not directly. <laughs> Let's go to the other side, mm-hmm. Michelle. Can you give me an example of a story of how going part-time has been a benefit to your patients? You know, my, my practice partner and I, we have a fairly large practice on the whole that we're sharing. So we'll always make sure that one of us, depending on our schedule, one of us will be in the office and the other one isn't. So one person has the has that sort of day off, but they're still doing some work from home. The other one's in the office. So our pretty large group practice, shared practice, still has somebody in the office every single day and still has somebody meeting those needs, which is not something that every full-time practice is able to do or with that number of patients. So I think we're able to meet a pretty high level of service. And we're also not on the edge of burnout and frustrated and hating our job and hating our lives. Frank, back to you. How, how did your patients feel as you wound your practice down? Uh, it depends. Uh, I would say when I, when I left my private practice, uh, which w- was sort of a crisis um, for me in the sense that I really was not functioning at any sort of close to uh, a level of not even what I'm capable of, but I, I just I, I was not well. Um, you had the hip pain at the time. Yeah, the hip pain and, and uh, you know, I was probably kind of beyond uh, a standard depression. Um, into, uh, you know, I suspect that if <laughs> if the thoughts that were going through my head were articulated out of my mouth, I probably would have ended up uh, in hospital at one point. I mean, and I'm not exaggerating, having fantasies of faking my own death and, and whatnot. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, so then when that happened, uh, the patients were actually really understanding. Um, and it, it, it's something that to this day, I still carry with me that I'm very grateful for. Um, before we we move on, you you were depressed. Did you seek professional help? Yeah, 
yeah, I saw it uh, my own doctor. Uh, and from that end, I'm doing quite well now. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, a conversation with Frank Warsh and Michelle Cohen, two GPs who say their decision to work part-time is helping to redefine what it means to practice medicine. Michelle Cohen went part-time to raise her kids. Frank Warsh quit his family practice to become a part-time coroner and to spend more time with his children. Both say that most of their patients took the decision in stride. But as Michelle found out, some of their colleagues were a lot more critical. There's the patient's reactions to going part-time. There's also the reaction of colleagues. And Michelle, I'm going to read uh, from a letter that you brought to our attention via Twitter. The letter was written by a retired family doctor. It appeared in the December issue of the journal Canadian Family Physician, and I'm quoting here, many GPs, family FPs, family physicians, male and female, seem to focus on not working more than 15 to 20 hours a week to maintain a lifestyle. It does not seem appropriate for Canadians to share the financial cost of their medical education. Perhaps those who wish to practice outside of Canada or work only 15 to 20 hours a week should pay the real cost of their education, presumably considerably higher than current medical tuition fees. Michelle, what was your reaction when you read that letter? I was pretty angry. It's not a new idea, um, that the kind of ideas espoused in this particular letter. I was frustrated that our specialty college, the College of Family Physicians of Canada, decided to put that in our journal, that that was a necessary thing for us to read. Was, uh, a retired physician really attacking us and making ridiculous arguments that many doctors work 15 hours a week for lifestyle, whatever that means. I don't know if that's a another word for family or, you know, the sort of implication is that you're just sitting around watching TV, relaxing, eating bonbons, doing nothing with your day. You what, know is your, what is your, for, so that we know, what is your daily uh, life like? So, so what my, yeah, so my day to day, and this is what I, I had tweeted in response to that, like my feelings of anger about that article was on the day that I'm not in the office, I'm still working just nonstop. There's still to some degree some work I'm doing through my remote link to my office. I do a little bit of other stuff on the side with my local public health unit and a couple of other things for the college and a couple of other things that I do. And then I'm, you know, rushing around dealing with all of the things that you do when you're taking care of a five-person household. It's a lot of work. There are there are bills to pay. There is domestic work to do. There's laundry. There are meals. There are kids. Each of the kids have their own specific needs, different activities that they're doing, you know, and I'm not even getting to anything relating to my health or my own wellness or my you own needs. You haven't said anything about your own. That's pr uh, yeah. It's pretty much at the bottom of the priority list, you know, all the time. And my consistent feeling at the end of one of my quote unquote days off is, how did I get to the end of this day and get so little done? Because I always feel like there's this long list of things I should have gotten done in that day and I'm run off my feet all day and still not able to do it. And so I, I tweeted about it because it occurred to me, you know, this is so ridiculous. This is my, you know, working part-time for lifestyle, running around with a sort of mishmash of work duties and life duties and kid duties and all these sorts of things. And none of it is fun. All of it is work. So to denigrate that and say that I'm the only meaningful work that I'm doing is the work that I do when I'm in my office seeing patients and the rest of it is just kind of a joke, really insulting, first of all. And, and, and I, don't, I don't know that that was the intent of the article but or the, that letter, but comes off as quite sad 
sexist as well, because this is traditionally women's work anyway. So just because you were able to, in your work time in the 60s and 70s and so on, you were able to just let your wife handle all of that stuff while you devoted yourself to full-time office practice and then some, doesn't make it any less work or any less meaningful or any less important. Just because we're, we're in this generation choosing to do it in a different way doesn't make us less valuable as workers as well. So you put the comments on Twitter. What's mm-hmm. been the reaction? It's been a very positive reaction. Yeah, there was a lot of, of feeling like I was expressing something that other people had felt as well, had felt themselves, that they were frustrated with that attitude and that mentality. Just work, 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 and that's, that's what you're supposed to do as a doctor. Frank, uh, you're a part-time physician. What did you think of that letter? Uh, I'm sort of past the point of getting upset about the, the opinions of other uh, of other colleagues. Um, I, I don't apologize to the system. Um, I will carry with me um, regrets and and guilty feelings and laments towards my ex patients. Um, but you know, I, I I'm working. Uh, I'm tending to an actual need, an actual job, and I'm attending to the needs of my family. And and Michelle, uh, to that point, you spend time. You're you're. Do you teach? You're teaching uh, residents, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and so yeah. and so. Uh, you know, budding family physicians and students. What what do they say about uh, juggling parenthood with practice? So I, I talk a lot. I try to talk a lot about work life balance and be quite open about my own juggling act with with my trainees. And sometimes I have residents who have already started their families, and sometimes I have uh, trainees who haven't, or students who are thinking about it and planning for the future. And yeah, I talk a lot about what it what it means to be pregnant in residency, what it means to be post call with a toddler climbing all over you, wanting attention because you're away all night, um, what it means to miss that activity because you have to do an after hours clinic. And the trainees that I talk to about who are planning themselves to have kids, both men and women do seem to be very interested in work-life balance. They do want to be an active part of their kids' lives. Um, the, the colleagues that I work with who have young families, the men who are at kind of at the same stage as me there, involve fathers too. They want to be part of their kids' lives and, and be there and not be the absentee doctor, dad of the previous generation. So I think this this generation, the, the tide is continuing to turn towards more involvement with our kids, better work-life balance, and particularly men taking a more active role in, in parenting. We work, of course, in a publicly funded system. Is, is this just part of the price that we pay for being physicians in a publicly funded system that when we don't work full time that the public uh, can say, well, we aren't getting our money's worth? Well, I don't Michelle. hear that message. I, I don't hear that message so much from the public as I do from older physicians. That that's the problem. It's this sort of attitude of you know coming from someone who had most likely a very relatively cheap medical school tuition, assuming that or, or proposing that the generation with the highest level of med school debt still somehow owes something back to the public financially just for not wanting to work 80 hours a week and, and into an early grave, you know? So an early grave. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you, is that, uh, are you being I dramatic so. or, or do you think that's what actually happens? I think so. I think when we neglect our health, how often do we as family doctors counsel our patients on lifestyle, diet, exercise, and how hypocritical are we when we don't follow any of that advice ourselves? In that letter in Canadian Family Physician, the retired physician um, said that a family physician not being able to see patients with urgent issues within 48 hours implies that the family physician does not practice high-quality primary care and 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 basically was saying that, that unless you're available all the time, mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to be able to see patients quickly enough. 
Does he have a point? We can come up with a lot of different work sharing arrangements. We have call arrangements. We have shift work. There are lots of different ways to spread the work out. And there's no other profession that sees that need to be, you have to be on and it has to be you and it can't be your colleague and it can't be a shift or a work share or something like that. It has to be you or else somehow the system falls apart. What other profession, even a public profession, do we demand that kind of level of superhuman work from somebody? I don't know if I'm paraphrasing or I'm talking out of turn, but the sense I got from the letter by the, uh, by the retired physician is that doctors like you are a big part of the reason why patients, especially rural patients, don't have access to a family doctor. Frank, what's your opinion on that? I think most of the, you know, the issues around uh, access and everything else those are symptoms of a complex mess of legacy design problems and how doctors are paid and how family medicine is funded. And, and it's, it's not like when there weren't any women physicians that it was all, you know, quote unquote, old country doctors that every rural Canadian had their own doctor at beck and call every day. It's not like every remote and rural uh, indigenous reserve, you know, had doctors coming in there all the time. So the, some of that's disingenuous. Um, if I'm part of the problem, then I, what can I do? I really did give everything I could to this profession um, until I, I didn't feel like I could do it until I was a liability. I don't know how else I can make amends if society isn't happy about that. Um, <laughs> you know, you're. But, See, I'd I mean, argue it's not. It's not society. It's the old school mentality. Oh like, sure, and, I I, and I'm being yeah. a bit yeah. facetious yeah. about that. Well, I, I think you can't blame systemic problems on individual people. So if we have a problem of not enough resources in our rural areas and in our northern regions in this country, then that is not because the individual practitioners are just not working hard enough. You know, you can't patch those holes with a few heroes who are going to work so much that they neglect themselves and either burn out or just stop doing the job at the same level of quality or just can't cope anymore or start making a bunch of mistakes. You can't solve a problem, a systemic problem in that way. I want one quick thought from each of you. What do each of you want people listening to this conversation to understand about you and doctors like you working part-time? Uh, Frank, we'll start with you. Um, that... Uh, if there's any thought that, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to eat bonbons, and, you know, make, make a certain amount of money and, and live the life of Riley, uh, I don't know any doctor that does that, that wants to do that, that would take any pride in that. Um, you know, there is still so much of your identity tied up in your profession that, well, why would I just sort of work X hours a week and, and call it a call it a day? Uh, I'm, I'm past the point personally of getting insulted by it, but uh, I can certainly see how, you know, towards my young colleagues, especially women, uh, it's really just an antiquated attitude that just needs to go. Michelle, how about mm -hmm. you? Um, well, we're having all these great conversations about burnout and mental health, physician suicide, and, and I think 
part-time work is part of that conversation. It doesn't have to be the answer for everybody. But I think a lot of the conversation around burnout comes from denying our own humanity in medicine as workers in medicine, as physicians. Part of that humanity is the work we need to do to care for the people around us, that caregiving work. And so long as the caregiving work in our society is still disproportionately done by women, including women in medicine, so caring for our young, caring for elderly parents, caring for sick relatives, doing the second shift, the domestic work at the end of the day, at the end of a workday, so long as that that is part of our humanity and is still disproportionately done by women. When we deny our humanity in medicine, we're going to be discriminating against the women in medicine. That's, that's a big part of the sort of underlying sexist attitude in this sort of old school, you just got to work till you die and who cares about everything else? Someone else will handle that kind of mentality. And that just doesn't work anymore. So we have to find a new way to make that to, to, to go forward. Well, thank you both for... Uh for talking about uh, your forays into part-time work and and, uh, some of the reasons why. Thank you for speaking with me. Thank you. A 2018 report by the Fraser Institute says that Canada has fewer physicians per capita than most other developed countries. That's full-time physicians, a deficit they say will increase as more MDs choose to work part-time. There's a new generation of MDs like Michelle and Frank who want to do things differently to achieve a better work-life balance. It'll be up to the people who run our healthcare system to balance the needs of health professionals to stay happy and healthy with the needs of Canadian patients who rely on their doctors to keep them healthy. That's our show for this week. Next week, we kick off our new season with answers to your many questions about cannabidiol, better known as CBD, derived from cannabis and hemp. A growing number of Canadians are using CBD to treat pain, arthritis, epilepsy, and more. They're doing so with fairly scant clinical evidence. Here's Maddie Brown, an Ottawa-based nurse and cannabis consultant. I wish all the time that every every you know interaction I had with somebody, uh, medical professional-wise, who was you know maybe skeptical or hesitant about CBD, I wish I could just forward them thousands of, of pages and data on on CBD and studies and how it's working. And you know I'll be the first person to stand up and say, hey, it looks like it didn't work after all. At least we studied it and we have that conclusively. But that's not what all my you know anecdotal reports and signs are, are indicative of. CBD has been um, hugely life-changing for my patients who suffer from inflammatory pain conditions, uh, back pain, muscle pain, joint pain. I have. More next week on the season debut of White Coat Black Art. As usual, you can reach us by email, on our blog, on Twitter, and on Facebook. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Allison Broverman and our senior producer Donna Dingwall, with help from Jeff Goods, Sujata Berry, and our digital producer Ruby Buiza. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts. How do you take down a criminal network hidden in the shadows? I tell them that I know that they're the ones who are running the largest child abuse websites on the darknet. The journalists working to expose the darkest corners of the internet. That's your playroom floor. That's your baby's clothes. That's my house. The police who hunt down online predators. Did we create the environment that they're using? No, we didn't. We didn't make it. They made it. Hunting Warhead. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.